Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you've just kind of wondered, what in the world are they talking about? How many of you had that happen? Yeah? Okay. So I, I've had comments after the services as I've, as I've shared this message. And one person told me uh, last evening, you know, like, I'm not going to say what profession they're in. But they said, well, based on the profession that I'm in, I have this every single day. It's a very public-facing profession. It wasn't one of our pastors, but just to be clear, okay? Someone else said, I'm going to just say this because I can totally blame this on them. One person said, well, pastor, every married guy should have raised his hand. Go ahead, boo, right now. It's okay, right? I, I'm totally kidding. But that was actually said, and they were joking too. But like, you've been in these conversations, right? And you know when these conversations are happening, it's really, really frustrating. And, and it's a little exhausting too, almost to the point where you just kind of want to just put your head down and fall asleep and hope that you could wake up after the conversation's over, right? You, you know what this is like. And just to be fair, I'm not doing this like to pick on people in any way because I am sure that I have been on the delivering side of those conversations where whoever is on the other side of the table from me is sitting there saying, what in the world is Pastor Eden talking about? Like, I'm sure that that's happened, okay? Now, John chapter 3 is one of these kinds of conversations, this, that's what it looks like to me. It can be really, really confusing. And I would like you to open up your Bibles that you have, or maybe the Bibles that are there in the seats near you, and go to John chapter 3. That's why we turn the lights up a bit, so you can make sure you can read this well. Um, if the page number is the same as the, as the Bible over in the sanctuary, and I'm assuming it is, um, it's going to be around 880-something, I was told. Um, as long as it's the, the standard print size Bible, I think that's where you'll find that. But again, you can go to your Bible app. Bring up John chapter 3 there as well. As you're getting there, I'm just going to tell you, like, in this section of Scripture that we have, though, this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, it goes from the signs that Jesus has performed to childbirth to water and spirit birth and then to the wind and then to a snake on a pole and even more. Sounds very weird to me. And again, very disjointed, very confusing. And it doesn't help that we're reading this in English. Because what happens here in English is that we actually have things that are lost in translation. Some of the stuff that we work through, there's, there's particular plays on words that happen here that happen in the Greek, but we can't get them in English. So again, there's this... There's this flow and everything that happens that's lost in translation, but, but the final message is absolutely never lost. So John chapter 3, the first play on words that we see here is in verse 3. Now I'm going to get there in just a moment, but the first one is in verse 3. So we have Nicodemus. We're introduced to this man, Nicodemus. We're told that he is a ruler of the Jews. And we also know uh, from this, from Jesus' own words, that he is a teacher, and, and it sounds like he's a respected teacher, maybe a well-known teacher of the Jews. And he comes to Jesus by night. 
Now, we make the assumption that he comes to Jesus by night because he doesn't really want everybody to know, right? And I think that's a good assumption. That, that seems to fit well. Because as we know, the Jewish leaders especially did not really like Jesus, right? They really butted heads a lot. They didn't agree with Jesus. They didn't like what he was saying. And yet here's one of the respected rulers of the Jews who apparently kind of likes what's going on. Apparently it's a little more than that. So he comes to Jesus at night and he begins this conversation with a pretty good statement. He tells Jesus, we know you're from God. And so what he says after that, it's in your Bibles, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, to me, that sounds like a really good start of any conversation with Jesus. Jesus, you're from God. We know it. We're confident of that. Cool. That's a good start, especially, again, for a leader of the Jews. But what's weird is that Jesus, like, really quickly turns this conversation and he makes what seems like a really random statement after this. Okay, so again, Jesus, we know you're from God. We've seen your signs. Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, what does that have to do with anything? It's kind of weird. Again, totally kind of a left turn here. But in your Bibles, you might see, and if you're on a Bible app, you might see this as well, a little one or whatever small number might be right behind the word again in verse 3. And if you see that little footnote there, if you're in an app, you can usually click on that footnote and it'll actually show you right there on the screen what the footnote is. But in your printed Bible, you look down at the bottom of the page and you might see something like this where it just says, or from above. Now, if you have a study Bible, it might go into this even in more detail. But what we have happening here is that in the Greek, the word for again is anothen. I don't know if you like hearing the Greek words. Some of you might. So that's what it is, anothen. And that word means both again and from above. And the hearer has to decide, well, which did Jesus mean? And what seems pretty clear is that Nicodemus assumed that Jesus meant again, and he was clearly confused. And Don, when you read that, you made this really clear in the way, I don't know where you're sitting, but you made this really clear in the way that you emphasize this, like, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now see, doesn't that seem like a logical objection to Jesus? I don't care how old you are in this room right now. I mean, maybe Wheeler doesn't understand this quite yet, but like, we all understand no matter how young you are, that you can't go back in mom's tummy and be born again, right? Like this is basic biology, right? We get this. So it makes sense that Nicodemus would ask this very simple question. But then Jesus kind of turns things again, seems to make another quick change in the direction of the conversation. And he says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, now maybe it makes a little more sense. Maybe you're starting to think, oh, maybe just Jesus didn't mean again. Maybe he meant the other 
thing. Maybe he meant from above. Now that makes a little more sense, doesn't it? See, it could certainly mean both, that word anathen. It could actually mean both. And that would actually bring more sense to the conversation, wouldn't it? If Jesus was actually saying, you must be born anothen, and it means both again and from above, well, that actually fits this conversation a little better. But that's lost in translation, isn't it? Because when we translate that, we have to decide, am I going to put the word again? Or am I going to put the word from above? You can't put both. That doesn't make sense in English, right? But the one Greek word can actually pick up both, and that actually fits. There's a pun here. There's a double meaning that can be easily lost in translation. The second one of these is in verse 8. So right after this, Jesus is kind of like, well, speaking of the Spirit, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now again, unless you know Greek, unless you've studied this or you've heard this preached before or taught in some way, you don't know that there's a Greek word here that's used twice. That Greek word is panoima. All right? You've heard the word pneumatic or like pneumatic, right? It means air. Well, this is the same word. It's the same root word, panoima. The word means both wind and spirit. So think of it this way. Jesus says, the panoima blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the panoima. And again, as the hearer, you have to decide, well, did Jesus mean wind? Or did he mean spirit? And the metaphor, thankfully, isn't completely lost in English, but the play on words is. And he clearly actually was talking about both, using one, the wind, as an image for the other, the Holy Spirit. So again, these, these plays on words, they can be lost in translation, even though we don't lose the metaphor here. So now when Nicodemus began the conversation Again, we said he was pretty confident about Jesus, right? We know you're from God. We've seen the signs. I kind of wonder how he left the conversation. We're not really told in the scriptures. But even though he came in with this confidence, I kind of wonder, like, did he get really confused by this? Did he want to just put his head down and go to sleep until the conversation was over? Where, where did this lead him? Maybe he got lost as he tried to, to translate, so to speak, as he tried to make sense of everything that Jesus was saying. After all, why would Jesus talk about the Son of Man who descended from heaven and ascended into heaven? What does that have to do with anything else that Jesus was talking about here? I'm sure Nicodemus could have asked, why would he be talking about this Son of Man who must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus was probably asking, well, who is this son of man anyway? Now, as a teacher of the Jews, as a student of the scriptures, he had heard of a son of man. That's very clear. But I'm sure he was wondering, who is this son of man? What's this all about? For an unbeliever, or for someone who is locked into one worldview, or for someone who is locked into their own confidence of how things should be, 
I'm sure that all of this can be very confusing, very, very frustrating, and at least from their perspective, maybe even harmful. Doesn't make sense. Where's he going with all of this? But then Jesus summarizes it all. He synthesizes all of these thoughts in those words that we sometimes refer to as the gospel in a nutshell. And he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Those are beautiful words. Those are precious words to us. Now, before we dig into the beauty of this statement, I need to clarify one more Greek thing here. And it's, it's not a pun. It's not a play on words at all. It's actually more related to how we speak today and how we understand one word in particular in this passage. You've heard it again many times. For God so loved the world. The word so there is in Greek, the word hutos. And when you hear that word, you use it and you hear it in a way that means like to a degree, a lot, right? And that's, that's not really what the Greek is. It's a different use of that word that we use in English, so, that is really different. Now, It'd be easier if we could translate this a different way. How many of you use the word thusly often? Gosh darn it. Like, it would be so much easier because that's actually what the word is. God loved the world thusly. But we don't speak that way. So we kind of have God loved the world so. What it means is this. God loved the world in this way. That's what thusly means. God loved the world in this way. And if you're looking in your ESV Bible or your app or some of the other translations too, you might actually see another footnote here in verse 16. And in the ESV, it actually says this. It's got the footnote at the bottom and it says, or, meaning it could also be translated this way. And I honestly like this better. For this is how God loved the world. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, the astonishing statement of John 3.16 is not that God loved the world. The astonishing statement is not that, the God, that God loved the world so much. All of that was perfectly clear from the beginning of creation. The way God put everything together the roles that God gave mankind in creation, the fact that God showed up on the scene right after Adam and Eve fell into sin shows very clearly that God loved the world with an incredible love. The entire Old Testament, 4,000 years of history, was showing us that God loved the world with an incredible love. There is no question about that at all. The astonishing thing about John 3.16 is not that God loved us, not that he loved us so much, but that it's how he loved us. God loved us 
by giving his only son to be lifted up on a cross. Just like that snake in the wilderness, which is why Jesus included that in this conversation. God loved us by giving his son so that by faith we might have eternal life. Not by any other way. Not by being good. Not by getting on God's good side. But by faith. Martin Luther says these words in John 3.16 are words which are able to make the sad happy, the dead alive, if only the heart believes them firmly. It's a beautiful way to say it. But why does all this matter? How does this fit back into this conversation? Well, think about this. Nicodemus presumably knew as a teacher of the Jews that God demands perfect holiness from us. In order to be in fellowship with God, we must have a perfect holiness. In order to live with him eternally, we must be perfectly holy, just as Adam and Eve were before the fall. And as a teacher of the Jews, Nicodemus also presumably knew all too well that he was filled with sin, that he was not perfectly holy. That was clear from the scriptures that he studied and taught. And we are in the same shoes as Nicodemus. See, we can only approach the throne of God in this same perfect holiness. We can only expect God to give us eternal life with him if we are without sin. And I'm not talking about like at some point in our lives, we get to a point where we have no sin. I mean that we are without a single hateful thought. That we are without a single lustful desire. That we are without a single moment of self-reliance from the moment that we come into existence to the moment we die. And that's not me. That's not Nicodemus. And that's not any of us. And that's why John 3.16 is so incredibly beautiful. That's why that verse touches our hearts the way it does. But it's also why we should never lose track of John 3.17. So look at that one with me very quickly here. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, precious words, part of the gospel message that we share. But far too often we Christians act, act like it's, it's our job to point out just exactly how unchristian that person is. We act like it's our job to, to point out how appalling such and such a person's behavior was and make it clear to everyone just how unnatural and deranged a certain group's ideologies are. Sadly, we are really good at condemning. But if God 
did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, perhaps our message should be focused on saving and not on condemning. And I mean this wherever we speak, whether it's in our homes, in our Bible studies, certainly in the public arena. What if our message were a message of saving rather than condemning? Now, to be clear, absolutely, we call sinners to repentance. That is the work of the church, that is the work of the scriptures, that is the work of God, and we absolutely do that, we must do that. But there is a big difference between all you sinners are going to hell and God loved us all. God loved all of us sinners by giving his son to die for us. Those are two very different messages flowing from the mouths of believers. As we share the gospel, let's always make sure that that clear message is never lost in translation. It is never lost as we take the words of the scriptures and the message of John 3.16 out to the world. Let's always be crystal clear in that. Jesus is the one who gives us his perfect holiness. By faith, we have that. By faith, we can approach the throne of God. Let's hear it again one more time. This is how God loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. May that always be our clear message, never lost in translation for Jesus' sake. Amen.